Thank you for tuning into the Rowdy Cards podcast on RowdyCards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and today I have Ryan Daly joining us for this episode. How's it going, Ryan? Good. Glad to, glad to be back. Awesome, awesome. On this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the Red Sox, well, really the World Series, uh, so a little bit of Dodgers will be discussed there. We'll be talking about um, the weather for a moment, and we'll be talking about uh, managers that have been hired recently, uh, some fan... Uh, I guess, activity, and uh, Yadier Molina. And also we're going to talk about what you jump right into the hobby, a few things in the hobby that are kind of interesting. So let's jump right into it here. First things first, uh, question. Do the Red Sox have a competitive advantage over the Dodgers given their familiarity with playing in cold weather? As you know, the Dodgers are playing the Red Sox in the World Series this year, and the Dodgers are out there. It's been stated and documented that they've had a hard time playing in this cold weather. And, but the Red Sox are used to this kind of thing, right? So if you're used to playing in cold weather and you can perform at, you know, some expected, you know, like decent level, no matter the weather, and if you're like used to like 30 degrees in the wintertime, and then you play against like a West Coast team that's used to playing in 60s and 70 and 80 degree weather, sometimes 90 depending on the time of year, you know, um, I think that that's a, by design, a competitive advantage, um, but obviously you have to have the talent to win the game. So um, I just think if you're used to playing in the cold and you're used to warming up in the cold, then if you play a team who's not used to playing in the cold, it might make uh, certain plays be slightly harder to produce uh, defensively and easier to produce offensively. Thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you a little bit on this. <laughs> okay. I think there is a, a very slight advantage you get if you're the home home team playing in bad weather. Uh-huh. Um, but we when we hear this discussed a lot during the football season because football is played at a much harsher time of year mm-hmm. than baseball. Um, so you get snow, you get rain, you get hail. I mean, much more extreme things than we saw uh, last night with the Red Sox game. But um, – like, first of all, the Dodgers, not all those players grew up in Southern California and got drafted by the Dodgers. A lot of them, I'm sure, grew up in areas with cold weather, um, and they are used to it. Um, and same with the Red Sox. I'm sure a lot of those guys grew up in the desert or in hot climates, and now they're playing in Boston where the weather is not so friendly. So it's – I think these guys are professionals, Um and whenever I read these sort of stories that the player interviews are, uh, they, they basically just say, you know, we're, we're, we'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're grownups. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously the extreme cases like last, last night, I think it was in the high forties, which is pretty insane. Um, but, um, like I said, I think there's a good portion of guys on both teams that, um, have dealt with cold weather in the past. Um, and it's a it's a disadvantage for both teams because they both have to endure the conditions. And the Red Sox might be kind of used to playing in those conditions, but baseball is played largely in the friendlier times of the year. Um, even if you're in in the East Coast, um, even up in you know Toronto, it's it's nice in the summertime. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's there's like a very slight advantage that you have when it comes to weather like that yeah i mean i'm not saying it's like the only reason why teams win or lose i'm just saying that look 
I lived in Alaska for a good chunk of my youth, like cold, cold weather, like from the time I was two to 12. And so I dealt with really cold, you know, um, sometimes in the negatives weather when I was younger and I dealt with it. You know, I, I lived, I, I got used to it. But then you move out of that climate and into another climate that might be warmer, like any any place else, really, that's in the lower 48. Some some parts, obviously, are going to be cold in the north. But you move, say, in the southwest or the west, where you're, you're kind of spoiled with warm weather almost year-round. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it's high, and you start to get used to that. And then it turns into 50 and 40-degree weather, and then you're cold again. You know, and so, yeah, you know, you might have had a history of living in very treacherous conditions climate climate wise and your body will adjust and get used to where, wherever climate you live in presently and then if you go back to some cold climate again you, you still have that that climate shock you know and it'll, it might slow you down you know i i as a skateboarder in the cold weather in the winter time it takes me like 35 minutes to warm up but in the summertime 10 to 15 minutes and i'm good because, and, and, you know, where I live presently, it doesn't get that cold, it's like 30s maybe, but I've lived in like negative degree weather. And so you'd think I'd be able to manage it quicker, but I know that weather, it's an element, like, like that's a, that's a factor. You, you will be impacted in some way. You know, if, if you lived in, you know, some hot climate before, you know, you might feel used to it in Arizona and then you go back to it. You've been in Boston, say, for so long. You go back to Arizona. You're going to be like, man, this is the hottest place ever. But you were used to it before. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest part of the game that it affects is, is pitching. Because especially like relief pitching, if you've been sitting for five or six innings and all of a sudden you get the call to go take the game over, you have to get warmed up and um, sort of literally and figuratively um and it's it's hard to get warmed up when it's in the high 40s outside and usually relief pitchers don't have that long to get warmed up so i think that's the biggest part of the game where the weather comes into uh into place but this it'd be a fun like sort of research project for someone to to do someone that's not me but (laughs) um yeah Go look at teams from extreme climates, either really hot or really cold climates, and see how they've done in like high leverage situations where they're playing in a climate that they're not familiar with. Yeah, there's a flip side to this year's World Series. Last year, I think Game 1 opened in L.A. with Houston, um, and it was like 100 degrees. We had like an, an Indian summer kind of situation in, in Southern California mm. in October. And it was extremely hot. Um, so that could be a fun research project for someone to do. Go look at the temperatures um, during the game and see what the outcomes are, if it adversely affect affected the, the, uh, the visiting team. Um, I'd be curious to know if there's like a, a strong correlation or not. Yeah, I mean, look, the body has to adjust and warm up at some point. It takes some amount of time. But if you're used to living in that climate, you might not need that amount of time to warm up. I mean, that's that's just science, right? So, uh, you know, the Dodgers might be at a slight, slight disadvantage in that capacity, regardless of whether or not they lived in like the Arctics, you know, at some point in their lives, like some of those players. They are not used to that climate since they've lived there. And if they've had served any degree of tenure with the Dodgers at all, they're not used to the cold weather anymore. 
So um, I just think it's kind of a moot point to explain and have a, you know, to say like, well, they used to live in Alaska, so they can deal with Boston. What if they lived in Alaska like 25 years ago? You know, what if they're older guys? Of course, they're not going to be that old. What if they lived in Alaska like three or four years ago? They'd already have gotten used to the warm weather. So whatever the case, I think it's like Red Sox, they have, they're stacked in terms of talent. They're going to have to win games regardless of the weather, you know, and Dodgers, same thing. They're going to have to, regardless of the weather, they're still going to perform. If they're not used to it, then they have to get used to it. Just like they're just be men, you know, just go out there and play games. And Well, that's what, that's what David Freeze says in the, uh, at the end of the article that we have referenced is uh, we're men, we're going to play. Yeah. And I think the Dodgers should worry more about um, striking out with runners on base than what the weather is, because right. that's why they're that's why they're down two games in the World Series right now. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> Not to be too harsh on the Dodgers. Fans, right. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of clutch performance, right? Like, um, I was I was in Barnes and Noble the other day, and I was sometimes I go to the sports section. I pull out a book. Uh, Smart Baseball is the one I was reading. I took it to the cafe. I started, read a couple pages, and I just put it back. I just you know. I decided I wanted to buy it, but I just didn't buy it that time. Uh, and the author talks about clutch performance, and he debunked. Well, he 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 made it clear. He, he broke it down why clutch performance, like a good clutch performer, that that concept doesn't exist. You either you are a good performer or you're not. You're, you're not you're not just a clutch hitter. You either are a good hitter or you're not a good hitter. In any situation doesn't matter if it's postseason or preseason or during season who cares you're a good hitter and if you're a good hitter at one part of the season you're going to be a good hitter at the postseason so saying you're a good clutch hitter is kind of just like um it's it's fluffing it up it's it's it's, it's kind of like you know making it more impressive than that it really is it just basically he's just a hitter <laughs> you know he just happens to be in a clutch situation and at that time he also has to happens to be a hitter at that time performing at a similar level right you sure know? so do we compare reggie jackson's statistics during his postseason performance and then compare it against his performance the rest of the year and can actually make a factual um, um, statement by saying he was more uh, productive in the postseason than he was during throughout the year I think you're going to find marginal differences, nominal differences in in those two arrangements, the during career and during his postseason performance. Was he good in postseason? Yes. But was he good during the year? Yes, he was also good during the year. Now, what you could say is that if he was good during the postseason, but maybe even, and you compare his performance with another player on, say, the A's, you know, during his stint with the athletics, um, and, and you see that he was way more productive during the postseason, could you say he's a clutch, good clutch hitter? No, you could just say he's a good hitter. And the other person he's being compared to isn't as good as Reggie Jackson. So I, mm -hmm. I just wanted to talk about this because there's a lot of conversation all the time. Like, oh, he's a good clutch hitter. Well, no, he's not a good clutch hitter. He's just a good hitter. He's yeah, just, and He's it's, just in a clutch situation at that time, but he was good, yeah, he was you, good throughout the year. You have a hitter. You have no control over the situation that you're put, you're put up against. Right. You could be on – you could go up to the plate – winning by 10 runs and hit a home run or you could go up to the plate winning by or losing by a run and hit a home run and then you tie the game and that's considered you know clutch but um there's there's an article i read about a year ago i want to say on fan graphs and if those not familiar fan graphs is a blog website that does really incredible like deep statistical analysis um of baseball and they 
this particular writer tried to sort of statistically, mathematically calculate a player's quote-unquote clutchness. Um, I forget what his specific term was, but um, it's a really kind of heady article, and I can send it to you so you can put it in the in the blog post if you want. But it's kind of an interesting read um, because he does sort of dive deep into this situation. Um, but postseason specifically, I think the uh, a player's performance is always fun because uh, if you look up World Series most valuable player, you'll find a lot of guys that are not like superstar talent or even like star talent. Um, and you see a lot of people that sort of come off the bench in the World Series that have these amazing performances despite this immense pressure. Um, like David Freeze is one of them. We just mentioned him in the weather discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a legend because of his 2011 performance. Uh, you know, Edgar Renteria was the MVP in 2010. I remember. And, I mean, maybe I could see Edgar Renteria doing that like in the mid to late 90s, but 2010, I mean, geez. Um, so it's it's kind of a fun list to, to gloss over. And um, that the postseason performances are always fun to watch because like I said, there's these, these guys that just sort of come out of nowhere. Maybe they were sort of marginal during the season and they just sort of go off in the World Series. But was that a, are we attributing their performance to situation? Or are we attributing it to the fact they may have been utilized more in the postseason than they were yeah, during I mean, the, that's, that's there the other... other factors here? I, I can't just subscribe to the fact that just because they played the on a different date in a different mm-hmm. field at a different time of the year that they're better in that situation than all those things in another, you know, uh, differently, right? So like a guy coming up in April and May to hit a couple balls, maybe hit a lot of balls or pitch, you know, compare his performance from April to September with his performance in October. Are you really going to see that there's a spike in the difference in October? I just find that hard to believe. People don't become superhumans just because we're in October, you know, and it's, it's, you're either really good in your craft or you're not that good in your craft, but there are, there are exceptions throughout your whole career. You're going to have a slump. You're going to have a, a time where you're really good. You're going to have the not, not hitting well, whatever. But, you know, you look at like, you like look at the stats of this and average things out and you start to look at like, okay, over the past five times they've reached the World Series, you know, where did we see spikes in performance in this player? Like the, the conversation right now they're talking about is David Price being, you know, dominant in the postseason. But like he's had good years. He's had some not so good years, but he's been great, you know? And I can't say he's, better right now in the postseason he's ever been of course i'd have to look at his data to really back that statement up with degree of certainty but you could say that he's not superhuman right now he's just david price you know but he's been david price since 07 when he came up with the i guess it was the tampa bay rays mm-hmm. so i just want to touch on that because i think it's some people talk about good clutch hitting but really what they mean is just good hitting it just happens to be in a clutch situation yeah and there's so the sort of other part of this conversation is people that have a bad track record in the playoffs. And Clayton Kershaw is one of the guys that gets a lot of the heat for that conversation. Um, I don't think he quite deserves all of it. But, I mean, if, if you're watching game one of the World Series, uh, he did not do very well. And I think he has like a 9-9 a nine and nine win-loss record in the postseason, which is not reflective of Clayton Kershaw in the regular season at all. I mean, Clayton Kershaw is like, 
one of the most dominant pitchers of this generation. He's got stats like Sandy Koufax has. Um, so he's one of those guys, whenever the Dodgers are in their postseason, everyone is just glued to the TV because they're like, is he going to screw it up again this time? Yeah. Like there's such a, this elite, like generational talent on the mound. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel bad for him because it's got to be just a ridiculous amount of pressure. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting what sort of what the postseason can can do and, and how um, baseball writers sort of frame things just because it's the postseason they sort of glorify or they villainize guys you know it's it's a wacky time but that's why it's kind of fun. Sure, sure. Moving on, um, Ryan, you're gonna let's why don't you bring us into this next next topic here? We got some new managers have been hired. Yeah, so obviously the World Series has been dominating all the. Uh, sports and baseball media, but there have been some significant uh, management hirings. Charlie Montoya for the uh, uh, Blue Jays, who I believe was their bench coach. To be honest, I don't really know much about him, um, but he replaces Paul Molitor, who obviously he was a Hall of Fame baseball player. Um, but I think Paul Molitor ended up walking away from that team with a losing record. And the Twins um, were in contention, I think, just a couple years ago. So I think they just had to sort of shake things up. And they hired uh, Montoya and see where he takes the team. Brad Ausmus got hired by the Angels, which uh, as an Angels fan is not really a surprise he was the special assistant to the gm for a couple years after osmus left detroit um and i have full faith in him i think he's basically going to be like an extension of our general manager billy epler um who i also have full faith in so looking forward to brad osmus um he's also one i think one of the few jewish managers to have ever managed I know that the Jewish community is sort of underrepresented in baseball as a general, in general. Um, but from the manager role, um, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. So kind of cool to have Brad in there representing that community. And Rocco Baldelli uh, for the uh, Blue Jays, youngest manager ever, 37. That is That's, young, super young. And that's sort of the trend we've seen in a lot of sports. Um, I think Sean McVay, the man, they're the coach for the Rams, is 35. I'm going to say somewhere in that ballpark. Um, <clears throat> and I think you know, just given the the statistic-driven part of the game, front offices are looking for younger guys that are more attuned to systems like that. Um, so I, I expect this trend to continue. Um, to sort of start pushing out some of the old school guys in favor of the quote unquote new school of baseball. Um, so we'll see. I don't, you know, Charlie Montoya and Rocco Baldelli don't have any actual managerial experience being the sole manager. Brad Ausmus um, did in Detroit, um, I think maybe four or five years, but so these are relatively inexperienced managers. And they're on the young side of things, um, and they're they're all managing exciting teams. So 
I think it's a good fit for everybody, and I'm excited to see what they do. Also, Baldelli's been hired as the manager for the Minnesota Twins. Twins, sorry. Yeah. I he, was... he came, he's <laughs> former, he was. He played with the Rays, but now he's yes. going to be managing with the Twins. So Twins. I, I screwed that up. Montoya is... Uh... Shame on you. <laughs> I know. This is why I should have Google up while I do these things. Oh, it's good. No, it's it's just good to like reference. You know, if you're listening, it's it's just to try to. I always say like, if you're gonna write something and 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 you know quote or use content, try to reference it so that you can credit the owner of the content. Uh, whatever the case, you're always learning about these like the little like, connections of the knowledge and where everything fits into place. But it's sometimes hard to follow. You know, there's just a lot of information. Um, and so I totally get like hiccups every now and then. But yeah, he played with the Rays, and now he's going to be managing with the mm. uh, the Twins. That'll be cool, I guess. I don't know. I can't think. I don't. I don't follow the managers that much. They're sort of behind the scenes. It's like a band manager. Nobody cares, but they do so much work for the band. Everybody sees the band and listens to the band, but nobody knows about what happens behind the scenes with the band manager. So totally get right. that. Right. I think the knowledge for for a, even for a deep baseball fan like a hardcore baseball fan, once you get past the, the role of the manager, once you start talking about the bench coach and the third base coach, I mean, that's pretty, that's <laughs> it's really obscure, knowledge. really fast. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I would be super impressed if someone could rattle off the entire coaching staff for each team. Yeah. The um, assistant manager to the assistant yeah. that is the, uh, the, that is the off plate off field coach to, yeah, yeah. to the, 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 the bat boy and the mascot. Yeah. 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 All the generic weird, obscure, like, you know, I manage the dugout, but I'm the assistant to the manager of the dugouts. Yeah, equipment manager, <laughs> uh, interim equipment manager. Most of us don't know who these people are. I mean, even the umpires, we never really see them. So it's they they work. They have great jobs, and they we trust that they're really a mission critical part of the 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 the, the, the games. And so, but we just never get to know. Oh, I pulled an ump. You know, out of my pack of cards, like nobody, it hasn't, it hasn't been done since like what, 55 Bowman, you know, I think there was a time in, in one of the Bowman releases from the 2000s where scouts were honored, scouts that, you know, were responsible for pulling in certain high level players like Frank Thomas's scout um, was, had a baseball card that's signed by him. And on the back, it talks about how he acquired Frank Thomas for the White Sox, just, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of cool. Um, glad there's not a lot of that in the hobby, but there's some, and there should be like, I guess, you know, it's kind of nice to see a little bit of recognition for some of the other fellows that are behind the scenes. So, yeah, I think, uh, last year, maybe two years ago, uh, one of the tops products had a, a nice autograph set for all the managers. Oh, okay. Um, and go. obviously every manager gets their own baseball card in, in the flagship product, right. but I think we seldom see every single manager with an autograph card. So that was oh. kind of cool. Yeah. Something um, different. One quick note, a little nice little nugget of trivia I learned this week. Okay. Speaking of managers, before we move on, okay. um, we all remember Michael Jordan's stint in baseball. Of course. Back in the 90s. 94, 95. He went and played yeah. in the minor league system for the I mean, Chicago White yep. Sox down in Alabama, I believe. Yes. Now, who managed that team that Michael Jordan played on? Terry Francona. Really? obviously went on to have a very successful managerial career. Um, so that was just a cool thing that I learned recently. That is and, cool. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> the dynamic duo, Terry and, yeah. and Mike. <laughs> you know another piece of trivia? Michael Jordan's net worth. As of uh, 2018, $1.7 $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1
Imagine mm. if he played now with the contracts are given out. You know, I honestly think that if he wanted to go and play again, he could probably still perform. I mean, the guy is like a natural athlete. athlete. Like, he could well, probably get away with shooting a few hoops and hitting a few balls if he really wanted to. He still plays golf. He's still athletic. And so I, I really respect the guy. He could play for the Marlins. I don't know. <laughs> the Pirates. Just from like a marketing perspective, I mean. Oh, it's that alone. We have is Michael bring Jordan crowds. on our team. Yeah, that, that alone will bring. We have the 55-year-old version of Michael Jordan on our team. That alone will right. bring ticket sales. Just that, that, just that, that fact. So, yeah. moving on. Uh, speaking of fans, uh, there one fan recently, one Cubs fan, since we're getting close to Halloween now, one Cubs fan decided to um, carve the 2016 Cubs World Series ring into his pumpkin. Now it's a really, really impressive. It's like wraps all the way around like a ring. Um, it has all the intricate designs on the side and on the front. I mean, it's really cool stuff. I never got into the pumpkin carving thing. I've I've carved a few myself, but I, I you know, I just kind of like never really, really got into it. I just kind of liked it because it was kind of one of those things you do sometimes during certain, you know, Halloween when you're feeling it. But I never did it every year. It was like, you know, I might have somebody over and we'll carve out a pumpkin together or something. But it's it's just not something I've celebrated to any significant degree in my life. But I think it's cool when people do and uh this particular fan has done something really quite amazing it's impressive so yeah that was cool it's really cool it's too bad the pumpkin's gonna eventually just rot away yeah, that's cool the thing too is a pump that forever <laughs> right it's a perishable so you can't all you can do is like film it and take pictures of it and enjoy those things but you can't like i mean i guess what you could do is like mold it have it a mold made for it but i mean who's gonna want that <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of that's taken to the next. Take level. a few level, <laughs> take a few pictures, and then and then and then and then be done with it. But I thought that was uh, very interesting. I bet they spent a lot of time on it. Um, if you're on the blog, uh, there's a link to the source where you can see an image of this thing. So uh, definitely head over to radicars.com for this entry and uh, have a look for yourself. Uh, moving on, Yadier Molina wins the Roberto Clemente Award. He actually helped out and provided aid in Puerto Rico. During the uh, or for the the 2017 Hurricane Maria, uh, so I guess that's pretty devastating uh, in Puerto Rico. And so, I didn't know this, but the Roberto Clemente Award used to be called the Commissioner's Award, and it was given to I think Willie Mays for the first time. And after the death of Roberto Clemente, they renamed it the Roberto Clemente Award. So it's kind of a neat fact. Yeah, it's super cool. It's it's always a fun award to see who gets it, and um, I, I'm sure most of our listeners are, f- are familiar with Roberto Clemente and his story, but if you're not, I would highly recommend checking him out. He's got a really interesting background, obviously um, passed away prematurely, um, but you know, if you if you look up the, the winners of this award going back to the early 70s, it's just like a who's who of baseball. Um, and I'm not going to equate it with an MVP or rookie of the year or anything like that, but it's, I think it's pretty high up there as far as baseball notoriety and baseball awards go. Yeah. And, and Molina was saying, you know, I'm not doing this for an award, but it's really great that I got an award, but I help, right. I, I'm helping out to help out. And I guess his, while he was there, um, they wanted to bring him back into the States to receive the award, but he's like, no, I'm going to stay here and help out. And my wife is going to be there to received the award in my honor so like i thought that was really very classy um so that's cool that you know yadier molina has has won won that uh award he's actually i mean he's a good dude on the field and off the field and i really appreciate that um so 
I haven't collected him in any degree, but I really, I've, as as he's progressed in his career, I've paid a little bit more closer attention to him. Um, and this is just one more one more accolade. So well, he's on our list. Yes, uh, we'll have a conversation about that probably in another <laughs> podcast. But we have a we have a line item to talk about him along with two other fellows. Uh, more on that down the line. So definitely stay tuned. Um, moving on here, let's talk about the hobby. Uh, you know, when you send something in to get graded you know, the vintage card or whatever, and it comes back as trimmed. What do you, what do you do with the trimmed card? What do you do with that at that point? Right. It's, it's now like you say, you send it to three different companies that they all come back because I'll kick some back as trimmed smaller mm-hmm. than it should be. So what do you do with that? What's the best thing? What, if you could think about that, like off the cuff, just right now out of the gate, what would you do with a trimmed card? Mm, I think it would depend on what, what card it is. First of all, if yeah. it's a rare highly sought after card. Um, I think if, if it's, if you think it's an authentic card that has been trimmed, mm-hmm. I would just hold on to it, keep it in your collection. Um, if you think it's maybe a phony card that's been altered more than just being trimmed. Um, gosh, I don't know what you do at that point. You don't know Counting what I would losses. do? I'll, I'll tell you right now what I would do with that. Um, I would, Try to get the player or players on the card to sign the card. Oh, and then I'd have it, and then I'd have it authenticated as just a trading card. There you go. That's a good. That's idea. a because what else? I mean, honestly, like if if I have a trimmed card in my collection, that's easily obtainable because they printed the heck out of them. A perfect example would be say like um, the Bird Irving Johnson rookie card, the triplet card. Like mm-hmm. if it came back as trimmed or miscut or something, and I I kept submitting, it kept coming back as trimmed or miscut. I just try to get one or two or all three of those guys to sign the card and just have it slapped. And that's and then I can still enjoy the card. And then I can look out for a a, a, a non trimmed example for my collection. That's kind of how I would approach the situation, just to, so I can continue to enjoy my collection, and kind of make a little like, I don't know, fun out of it. You know, like it's trimmed. Okay, cool. Let's let's put that in the to be signed pile. You know, so now it doesn't me, matter that they're going to authenticate the card. Now it's just a picture <laughs> that they're just going to be signing, and that that's fine with me. Let me ask you a question. Sure. And this is sort of showing off my my naive part of the hobby. All right. Um, would you say that trimmed cards are mostly vintage, i.e., pre seventy, pre eighties, pre seventies, kind of that era. Well, I wouldn't would be able say to say it's prevalent throughout the hobby. I wouldn't be able to answer that with without doing a, some bit, a bit of research, but I will say this: of the trimmed cards I've seen, most of them have been vintage cards. Vintage right. cards. Okay, I would agree. That's I mean, that's my sort of anecdotal there, evidence. Yeah, that's not that's not to say that there's certain modern. I've seen situations where modern cards have been trimmed. I have seen those. I've seen Derek Jeter's like autographics purple parallel number to fifty. You know, like that. There's evidence that that card was trimmed. I've I've run into certain modern cards that you know, like there's certain high end, super sellable pieces that they come back as trimmed. Like, well, I can, I want to see if I can doctor this card into getting graded so I can turn it around for a profit. This happens. I mean, it, it, look, sports memorabilia category is like rampant with dishonest people. That's yes. just like any other collectibles industry. You're gonna run into these guys, um, and so even though I've only I've seen a good chunk of them in vintage. I've seen some in modern, maybe less prevalent, but they, I, I believe they exist in like all different decades of collecting. And so 
I just, I come across them more in the older stuff because oftentimes you're like afraid, you know, mm -hmm. edges and, and rounded corners and, you know, ding to this and ding that. And someone's like, well, it's not that bad if I just smudge it out or if I just like razor blade the edge. And so with modern, yeah. with modern people take care of their cards so well that oftentimes you won't run into that. So you probably see the trimmed stuff less frequently, but mm -hmm. I, I would feel at least partially confident assuming that it still exists in the modern category. I mean, game we we talk about this with the game use stuff people doctoring game use cards that pull out the patch put something more intricate in and then try to flip it i mean I've, I've owned some of them and then when i find out they're fake i return them because i don't want that in my collection but with right. trim stuff you know and, and you could do this with something like that too you could just send it to the player and have them sign it get it authenticated now it's just a trading card it's not you're not buying it because of the patch you just want a right. nice interesting card to get signed by the player so if you wanted if you knew a card was fake and you, you just wanted to do something with it, have the player sign it, get it authenticated. And, you know, like that's a good way to use that kind of a card because at that point it's just essentially like an arts and crafts project. It's not even a real anything anymore. It's been doctored. So <laughs> That's a good term for arts and crafts. Yeah, it's just like it's just like uh, a, you know, it's a high school yearbook committee result. It's not like an authentic pack issued anything anymore at that point. I mean, same goes right. for trim stuff. It's been doctored in some capacity to change its changes appearance in some way to make it more attractive. But if it's trimmed, it's smaller and it doesn't look like a normal card, you know? And so like, it's already, if it's trimmed, I don't, I already don't want it. If it's fake, I don't want it. If I, if I have any, any shred of doubt that it's real, I don't want it. Like in with the game use stuff, I specifically go after generic, boring swatches over crazy, unbelievable looking patches because I know that nobody's going to try to remove a nice patch for like a, a crappy swatch. And so sure. I know that, that that card is probably more more often than not going to be real than, than if I look at, oh, my gosh, that patch is amazing. But then I question, is it real? Because I can't tell. that Some of these guys that do this, they're so good at it, it's hard to tell which ones are real and which ones aren't. So to yeah. err on the side of caution, you buy the, the generic black patch the, or generic black swatch or white or gray or whatever and just call it a day and just be like, I have that card, knowing it's real. You know, so. yeah, it's it's kind of creepy how good they are at it. And, so uh, creepy. And I know, I think the most common examples I see in the modern cards are refractor lines. If there's a refractor oh, line yeah. on the very edge of the card, yeah. I guess why not just kind of shave that off? Well, um, you can't. I mean, okay, so it's like I I don't it, know if I don't know I don't know any situation where refractor lines have been such a big burden for people who feel like they can get turn around and get a profit. If that happens, gosh, that's too bad. Uh, there are refractor lines on certain really boutique items from the 90s, and I hope that people aren't touching those cards. I don't want anybody to touch any card, really. Just keep your hands off it and leave it as is. If it's in bad condition, accept it and look for a better one. You know, It takes more work to be unethical than it does just accept imperfection. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to touch on that because uh, if you have something trimmed, you can still enjoy it by getting a player sign it and just get it, getting it slapped. I believe there was a case, I forget if we talked about this or not um, in a previous podcast, but a, a pretty crucial Juan Soto rookie card was was found to be trimmed. Um, I could find a, a source on that and, and put it in the blog post. But Wasn't that the so. Super Fractor? Well, was it? That's what I was thinking. I didn't want to say it, but... <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I, have, I, I just I, I, I remember hearing a... about this throughout the ethos of like me, my, my search results, and I, I can't yeah. remember if it was a Super Fractor or if it was like a to five or... It was, it was some, one of the high-end parallels. Yeah, significant Juan Soto rookie card. Um, 
And like I said, I can find a, a source for it, but it's yeah. See if we can pull uh, it up. I mean, it's, uh, it still it still happens. I mean, yeah, it still happens. Yeah. I I know that obviously the super high end boutique parallels of crazy hot players are a target for a lot of the like unscruple dealers, if you will. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, try to just do research before you buy something. If you have any hunch that it's been tampered with in any capacity, just you know look around you know spend some time researching the card kind of who's maybe who's owned it where it's kind of been or how it's like it's history uh and and just know that also know this just accept this that graders hire people that are not qualified to authenticate okay they exist in all the different grading companies it's not intentional that they're hired on but they get through and they they authenticate stuff that's blatant fakes forged 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 signatures i see this with frank thomas stuff all the time slabbed with psa and it's a blatant obvious fake forgery just a just a straight up forgery um but you know the people that are authenticating i mean it's how it's very difficult to have a grasp on everybody's signature that you know like had a pinpoint fake so it's not psa's fault well i mean in, in a sense it sort of is because they hired that person but I mean, yeah. there's, there's going to be some statistical variance that you have to just accept in hiring that volume of people and just try to minimize the amount of um, illegitimate output as much as you can and just accept there's going to be some small percentage of it out there. Um, so I see that stuff pretty frequently. Did you find it? I'm getting there. All right. I'm going to um, keep talking. So, oh, uh, go ahead. It was actually so the the soda card was was an autograph card that mm. had a smudge on it out of the pack. Okay. And whoever the person was that pulled this and was trying to sell it, they tried to doctor the smudge to make it look cleaner. How did they? So, how would you do that? What was the? What's the strategy to do that? Would you trying, say? I'm trying to find the original listing here. Smudging like? Do you resign the card? I mean, I don't even know what uh, the. Yeah. <laughs> it's really really greaseball stuff, man. I'm telling you. That's like, yeah. that's really bad. Uh, while he's looking for that, I'm going to jump right into this next point here. Um, I don't know if you've been on eBay and you searched like guys that came out in between like, gosh, 06 and 10, maybe like that block of years. If you search like, uh, you know, Hank Conger rookie or Jason Hayward rookie or Fernando Martinez rookie, you're almost certain to get like, an endless almost it's not endless it ends at some point just a, a long scroll of these just minor league uncirculated beckett slab triple auto plates that are either than like gold material or silver material and they have those stickers that, that go across like all the way down they're in different um orientations like vertical or horizontal and i think i first came across these in the 2012 national but I've seen them, I see them daily when I'm doing searches for research or, you know, stuff in my own collection or whatever. But I never see them sell. And the stuff that, I, I say never, it's pretty extreme. I, I rarely ever see sold uh, listings of this stuff. It's almost like they made this whole giant massive production around that nobody seems to want. Yep. And, and then what do you do with that? It's just sitting in the market and just, it's, they're not attractive cards to me, but some nope. people might find them attractive. Have you seen these, Ryan? Yes, I have um, some just minor stuff from, gosh, like early 2000s, I want to say. Uh -huh. And it's 
it's immovable. Oh. It's in the part of my collection that's I've just sort of come to terms that it's just going to sit there. Or you're going to have unless, to give it away with bulk or, stuff. Yeah, I'll give it away. I'm, I'd be happy to give it away, I guess. Um, no. But it just sort of is what it is. I don't know why people waste their time listing this crap. It's well, it's I, not I mean, attractive. It's yeah. and there there are some nice players that are featured on these cards, but like, just go spend your money on like a, a legitimate nice card from that player. Well, I let mean, me ask you this: <laughs> if 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 just were to do this again, they hadn't done this yet. Let's just say, yeah. How what would you do to make this product a a, a more sellable product? Think about that. Now, here, here's the thing. Think about mm. this. While you're thinking about that, think about this. There are, seems like, countless examples of these triple auto, one of one, plate, you know, rookie, sticker auto stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think that when you have volume like that of those things, it, it comes like, well, why bother even getting one? There's so many of them. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You know, it's like, just... who cares? You know, and so I think that if they did, like, three different cards... And they picked out the top prospects of the era, not just any prospect, just the top ones like Hayward and let's say the three guys, Hayward, Martinez, Conquer. Let's just say for the sake of conversation. And there were three versions of those cards. There was a 10, it's a 5, and a, and a 1. All right, so there's only 16 cards out there in the world that they printed for this thing. I am almost certain this, these 16 cards would be sellable. But because they printed like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things and they feature sticker autos of guys nobody has forgotten about like decade like a decade ago Mm -hmm. then it's kind of like the market's just kind of like full of you know like we're exhausted by these things now i just think that less is more sometimes it just really is yeah and i I think they they try and make their products to be like exclusive or maybe like high-end and inherently rare Mm -hmm. just because there's three autographs, but I mean, if if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, go on eBay, look at them. They're sticker autos. They look not great. <laughs> not <laughs> for, well, I mean, we're talking about based on our own opinion, right? I, yeah. I'm not a fan, and Ryan's not a fan, but you I'm might be a fan. fan, and if you're a fan, great, because then they can find homes, and that's important. But whatever the case is that if something has such low sale value, best thing you can do with it is just block them together and sell them as a lot and get just get on with it but somebody who's going to buy them is might be going to intend to like relisting them as individuals so just going to constantly sell into perpetuity somewhere they're going to be listed right so um, yeah it's uh it's stocking stuffers you know what i'm saying that's so funny you said that i was going to say um i know i'm getting you for christmas because oh there you go so much of this stuff on ebay that circulated just beckett slab triple auto plate with three prospects i'd forgotten about about 10 years ago on on Christmas morning, even though there's no <laughs> just a box. USPS, you're gonna get a, a white envelope with a raw, just autograph card in it. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas! There and you then, go. Right, right, right. Good way to get rid of old like whatever like stuff in your you know like need to move box. Yes. All you do is when you when you sell a card. You just pack a few of those suckers in there, like in a team bag, like in front and the back of the top loader, and just so it's more support, and just mm-hmm. send it along. And then over the course of time, you know, you, yeah, you thin it out. You thin it out, you know. Uh, so that's 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 just another way. And, and if you're listening and you've gotten those things and you're frustrated by it, I'm sorry. 
I don't haven't done that yet, but that's something that people do to me. And I'm actually kind of flattered by it when I get a car and it's like packaged with commons. I'm like, oh, I'll just put them in my box of stuff to bulk commons, you know. And so um, I don't mind it, you know, getting a few extra throw-ins. Um, they don't end yeah, up. Yeah, if you already have a box of commons, yeah. why not just add a couple more? And yeah, and and uh, I'm not, I'm not. It's not going into my collection. It's just like going into the commons box, and I eventually will donate the box to something like a YMCA or somewhere that somebody can enjoy. So cool stuff. I want to touch on that. Uh, follow up here is the, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, this past couple of years, uh, eBay allowed people to list things in, in, in groups, like single listings, like, you know, the choose your, choose your card, pick your player, complete your set yes. listings. But here's the thing. How popular are these listings? And I ask this because you have a shipping cost of like, you know, two ninety nine, three fifty right in there. It's pretty normal. And then you're buying commons for like ninety nine cents. So you pay four fifty for common pl- I mean, who's completing modern sets anymore? That's my question. People aren't dude, it's filler. <laughs> this isn't nineteen eighty seven anymore. This is modern stuff filler just gets donated and goodwilled. Like who's putting the sets together anymore of common base cards? I, I'm curious yeah. to know. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to like ask around, but who's? I, I wonder like how popular are these complete your set, pick your player, choose your listing type of auctions. I, I don't know. It kind of baffles me. And even if you're putting together like a vintage set, which I've done in the past, my my first go to is a hobby shop or a card show. I don't go to eBay. Sure. I go to eBay to fill the holes here and there. But like you said, because of the shipping costs for one individual card. You know, if the card is is worth less than five bucks, eBay is really not a great place to right to try and find that card. Um, and these listings, I think, can be a little misleading. When they first started happening, I I didn't get caught um, buying something from one of these sellers, but I remember clicking on a listing for a player that was in the title of the listing because I wanted to buy that player's oh, card. Yeah, totally. And then I, you know, I was reading through the thing. I was like, oh, this isn't even for this specific card. And I, I don't even think that card was available at the time because someone else had purchased it. But the mm-hmm. rest of the set was available, which was useless to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's... Eh, I, I, just be careful and, like, I, I would avoid that kind of stuff. Well, um, okay, so there are certain situations where I'm looking for something. Uh, so, say, for recently, I, I bought Austin Kern's... Uh, Bowman Chrome International Refractor rookie card number to 100. And I was, you know, doing another search on it just because why not? And I came across the one of the the sellers who's known for selling like scrap stuff. And he mm-hmm. had the gold refractor without the serial number on the back. And I, but and I was like, great. It was like 2 bucks with 3 bucks shipping. I was like, that's that's fine. That's like a boutique enough to where I'm going to buy it. You know, shipping cost and and the the actual asking price makes sense to me. But that to me is not a common card. It's like an, it's technically an, it's it's a proof example of an insert, a parallel of a player who was once popular. So to me, if he has the drop down for something like that, I'm going to look at it. But if right. it's stuff like 2018 tops base, 2018 Bowman base, you know, complete your set. I I just don't know how many people are trying to put together a set of that, knowing you know just without. I mean, there are a lot of people that have put those sets together because they were chasing this Otani stuff back in May, right? There's un, un, unlimited un, options to buy a full set, but how many people are actively just wanting to put together a set, a modern base set of, say, Tops or Bowman 
or anything really. And I just wonder yeah. how how the people that spend time listing these auctions, how well are they doing? Like I always, I'm not gonna go and do market research and figure this out. It doesn't mean that much to me, but. I just, I'm curious to know, I see so many, I have to cut these, I have to do negative search to cut those out of my search results because I don't want to scroll through, you know, a bunch of 93 select pick your player to complete your set listings. Like, I don't, I don't care, you know? And so that's just kind of like something I'm like, wanted to get your thoughts on it. Like how popular do you think these really are? And if you were uh, trying to sell commons, do you think this is a good way to do that? Well, so I don't think they're very popular. I do think if you're trying to sell commons, it's definitely less of a pain to do it this way than it is to list individually. I have a so better idea, a, though. If you want to do comments, bulk lot them in teams. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 the people that buy commons that I know of, they're team collectors. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's one guy that just collects any card of the player that's featured with that jersey. Mm -hmm. You you target those type of people if you want to move stuff out and grant a little bit of legwork you have to like separate your cards or whatever into teams and do that but that to me i think is one of the better ways to move bulk commons out i don't know anybody's trying to finish a 1990 upper deck baseball set <laughs> yeah i mean in the past i've done this a few times where if i've had a bunch of commons from the same player and it helps if that player is like a hall of famer or a superstar um but if i had like 15 common Tony Gwynn cards in the late 90s. I would just put them on eBay, like Tony Gwynn lot, start at 99 cents and just sort of let it ride mm -hmm. because I don't know any way else to move that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not going to sell it individually, that's for sure. Um, so The lots make sense with stuff like that. Yes, I mean, the I, lots make sense. I bought a lot of Frank Thomas lots in my day. I started out in 03 buying a bunch of them and then slowed down over like a couple of years. But it's a good way to fill holes quickly. And I can appreciate that. But if I'm looking for like, <laughs> dude, if I'm trying to like fill holes on a 2018 top set, I'm just going to buy a brick of commons and just go through them myself. It's going to be more cost effective. Yeah. You know, fill them really? and like blow out a bunch of them at once with, you know, I don't have to sit here and. 99 cents with three bucks shipping plus 25 cents each additional. I have to do the math. I'm just like, dude, just give me a brick of them. You, you open up, keep whatever you want, and I'll buy the rest for like some nominal <laughs> fee and be done with it. Ship them to me for like, you know, uh, whatever a flat rate box costs, like 13 bucks. If I yeah. open up a case, send me the commons, a flat rate box, large, it's like 20 bucks, and I'll be good with it. So buy, I just buy a like, slot like in a case break for the team that you like. Yeah. Or, um, hang out in a hobby shop for hours on end and wait for someone to buy a box, watch them open it and then offer them 20 bucks for all the commons. I mean, you, you could, you could do that or you could just ask the people that own the shop. Hey, has anybody opened this product lately? Yeah, there Is there you anything go. left over? I'm looking for, I'm trying to fill holes. I need to buy them like essentially volume to do this. That's a much less insane way of going about it. I, I like that better. I'm trying to think about like the really efficient way to complete sets. Like I'm not going to be cherry picking commons on eBay ever for any reason. Because it's just so unbelievably not cost effective. Cherry picking inserts is easier for to do because if it's like a twenty dollar card, you get it for fifteen, you gotta pay three bucks shipping. The three bucks is not a sting, it's less of a sting than paying a dollar ninety nine cents and then have three bucks shipping. Now I will say this those situations exist when the, you buy you find something as a bin that's ninety nine cents and the card is worth twenty bucks and it's three bucks shipping. I'm gladly I will gladly pay the three ninety nine for that card. You know, but that those are obviously situation specific, but the complete your set listings to me, I've always found to be like, you know, why, why waste your time? I mean, why, why list it like this? Just 
list it as a lot and sell them all in one and be done with it. Like, why waste your time looking for a common in a stack, packaging it, and then getting and printing off, doing all that, and then seeing why waste your time with that? It just just doesn't make sense to me. People's time should be more valuable than ninety nine cents to me. I just think like, dude, it's your time here. Like, don't you want to add another zero to that and make nine like ninety dollars? It makes more sense to me to spend you know, 15 minutes of my time to do packaging, mailing for stuff that's in the double figures and it would be for 99 cent, just whatever. So another conversation, conversation for another time. Uh, rewind back to the trim stuff. Did you find any information on the card in question? So I, I found some information. This information I believe to be true. Okay. Um, it's all posted in sports cards forums uh-huh. which i have a lot of respect for yeah i participate in some of them sure i don't think it's super responsible to post that as like a source um but i'll continue to dig and hopefully by the time this comes out we can have <laughs> a solid link for y'all to take a look at and honestly if um, not you're free to google search and find this stuff out on your yes, own and and exactly. you know that like we're here to provide content and have like very casual dialogue on this kind of thing. So if there's, you want to learn more, you know, by all means, uh, you're, you're free to search all that stuff on your own. Uh, but Ryan, good stuff. I, I, I did hear about that when it, when it happened. I just don't remember the specifics of it. I can't remember. I don't, I don't remember if it was the super fractor, if it was another high, I think it was like a high dollar parallel, if I can remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever the case that covers this podcast, Ryan, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Uh, go Red Sox, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure where I stand in this world series. Um, yeah, well, it's, I, I, I guess my one, um, my one need is that it goes to a game seven because the last two world series Cubs, Indians, then Dodgers Astros went to game sevens and like every game was epic. Um, it would just be a bummer for the Red Sox to steamroll over the Dodgers in four yeah, games. Two more and wins it. and it's over, man. It's over. I know. That's <laughs> so close. I mean, I hope the Dodgers can come back to LA and make it interesting, but, uh, Whatever the case, Um, it's going to be fun. So it'll be fun to watch. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to Rowdy Cards Podcast on RowdyCards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno. Thanks again, Ryan, for joining us. Sure. And and until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.